Thanks for listening to Reawaken, creating community and meaningful action to shift paradigms in mental health, trauma and addiction, a podcast by The Humane Clinic. Hosted by Matt Ball and Stephanie Mitchell and produced by me, Rory Ritchie, aka Producer Dan. Incidental music by yours truly and our theme song is Hope by the talented Addo Mull. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race need your hope. That's what this world is in need. Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed. Hope is the thing that stops you bleed. Welcome to Reawaken. Um, my name's Matt Ball. I'm here with Rory, aka producer Dan. Hey, Rory. Hey. Um, and unfortunately, Steph's not with us today. She's over in Melbourne doing some training, and um, we hope she might contribute to this. We'll see. But um, maybe next week we'll have a podcast with you and Steph or something. Yeah. But. Um, we, we had a bit of an idea for this podcast, and we it's called The Question, and I thought we might just start with The Question. All right. Did you, did you want to give some context as to when The Question was oh, asked, yeah. maybe? Did you want to, or shall I? Um, well, why don't I give my context, and maybe you can give yours as well. Yeah, lovely. Uh, so, I was studying at Flinders University, finishing up my Master of Social Work, coming over from WA every so often to do one-week intensives. Yeah. So there was a one-week intensive course run by Annie Jarvis. Yeah. And the speakers were okay. Yeah. Um, until this bloke from the Humane Clinic came along and yeah. started saying a, a whole bunch of things that really resonated and rang true with me and my life experience and... My professional experience. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking a lot about being in relationship and human connection and how that's, you know, really the thing that can bring people out of distress and a lack of that being the thing that can lead to um, mm. psychosis in inverted commas. Yeah. Yeah. So I put up my hand and asked the question. Of Matt, who was the speaker, obviously. Uh, how can we be in genuine relationship and connection when we're being paid to work a 40-hour week as mm. professionals? Yeah, and it was, a, it was both an, uh, an awkward question when I'm standing there ranting about human connection, but also quite a relief. I think the same day someone had said, or maybe it was another lecture, similar lecture, someone had said to me, no, I think it was the same day. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I hear what you say about the diagnosis, but the DSM is a really useful document <laughs> to help us put people in categories, which was kind of everything I was teaching against, really. So when you said that, my memory was that I looked and heard you say this and saw a guy that looked like Donovan Frankenwriter. <laughs> Which know. is the first thing you said in reply to oh, me. Yeah. You look like Donovan Frankenwriter, <laughs> who is a great guitarist and um, used to be a bit of a fan of him a few years ago. I still like him, good surfer, good guitarist, singer. Anyway, Rory looked a bit like him, as, and now I think Rory looks more like Jesus, and that's not a sort of God delusion, <laughs> but just looks a bit like Jesus, I mean, or the archetype of Jesus. Anyway, so I said to, to Rory, you know, it's a great question, and I, how did I respond? 
first you asked me if I knew who Donovan was, and then uh, you went on to give me an anecdote, oh, first yeah. of all, I think, about something that happened. No, and it wasn't even a so much a, an at-work anecdote. It was something that had happened to you at home with your family, which yeah. was immediately answering this question yeah. of, you know. I feel quite quite emotional when you say that, actually. It was a, a night... I think we've talked about this on the podcast. It was a night, um, a Monday night. One of my daughters had just dropped off at Scouts. Well, my, yeah, and my twins were at home, and um, I went to check the twins were in bed and came back down the hallway, and there was a a young woman in the house playing with my dog Nala, and um, I had that you know that fight flight response where you, oh, and then realised it was a youngish looking woman in her pajamas. And maybe the fear that I was feeling was an automatic response, but not necessarily one that I needed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I said, oh, hi, um, welcome. You, uh, you're talking to the dog or something like that. And she said, yeah, your dog's been telling me to come here. You know, I've been looking and, and your dog's been calling to me. Anyway, as this happened, I got a text message from my neighbor saying, watch out, there's a nutter on the loose. Excuse the language, but that was all it said. And, She's trying to break into people's houses and do things. I've called the police. So I spent some time with this young woman who was very tearful. It was a warm evening. We sat on the veranda and chose tea together and we sat and had tea. And clearly she had some distress. She had some beliefs that other people found unusual. And um, my twins came out to see what the commotion was. And not real great commotion. I have to say just dad talking to someone over a cup of tea. Maybe a voice they didn't recognise from yeah. their bedrooms as they were pretending to sleep. <laughs> That's right, and the dog being pampered by someone that she'd never met. And, and um, they, my twins said hello to this young woman and then went back inside and got ready for bed, got settled. They weren't worried about it. This young woman was telling me she'd lost her ex-partner. She thought he may have killed himself and uh, ended his life and um, she couldn't find him anywhere and she'd been to the police or she, she wanted the police to help her and no one would help her and she'd been into all these houses in this estate looking for him and she said, but that's when I heard your animals talking to me. Have you got any other animals? And I showed her the turtle and the cat and she she danced beautifully for the turtle and just spent time really. Um, and I said to it, do you know me? And she said, no. And I said, oh, I just wonder because around me here know that I work with people said to be psychotic and um, I just thought as you'd come here in distress maybe you'd come here intentionally she said no no it's your animals talking to me anyway she stayed my daughter came back from scouts my older daughter and she sat and had a cup of tea with us we went inside because it started getting a bit cold and um, this young woman was really distressed and frightened and when I left the room she chose to walk over to my wife who'd been sitting in the other side of the, the lounge and I left the room to go and check on the kids to see if they were asleep and she said to my she told she disclosed something to my wife, very sensitive, and said I didn't feel I could tell the bloke. I just wanted to but I needed to tell someone about what had happened in her life. And it's just this incredible skillful experience. And I realised in that moment I remembered her from doing yoga with her seven years or eight years earlier. <laughs> just her face was familiar and her name. And I asked her and she sure enough she's a yoga teacher, she's an Ayurvedic practitioner and a practitioner of ahimsa or non-violence it just had this beautiful night and some of the outcomes of that night was that whenever anyone knocks at our door at home or not so much whenever but often when people knock at our door and we don't know who it is the girls will call out oh is that such and such the lady's name the woman's name and we 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 just remember very fondly the visitor that night who was (laughs) 
you know, tragically, the night ended with the the police turning up because the neighbour had called police and she got detained and put in a psychiatric hospital. But for two hours in our home, she kept saying, God, this is the safest, nicest place I know. And then being distressed again, and that was understandable, and we'd sit and listen, deeply listen and share time and stories. And and it was just a, a very wonderful experience. And I suppose that was the story I told because what you were asking was is, do we do this just for cash? Do we do this for a living? And I think... There is an aspect of it is my job. But I also think in order to do this job and to feel okay about getting paid for it, deeply okay, looking yourself in the mirror, I think you need to be willing to go further than that. And obviously it was a loaded question. I was hoping for you to kind of get further into it for the sake of everybody in the room as well as my own interest in what your opinion what was your loading? What did you want to know? Well, I mean, at the time I was working at St. Patrick's Community Support, a homeless, big homelessness day centre in mm. Fremantle in Western Australia. And I found that after working there for a few years, it was probably the first time in a long time I'd felt part of a community and I felt like my professional role you know, transcended the realms of the professional world and I mm. kind of assumed a role within the community and I'd often wander around the kind of main Fremantle precinct and stop and chat with people yeah. at, on a weeknight or on a weekend and, and you know, these were people who were living on the street or living in some kind of disadvantage that used the centre mm. and I wouldn't interact with them in a... Uh, necessarily a client, worker, privileged, non-privileged type way. We were both part of the same community, which is what I also hear from your story, you know. Mm. We all play different roles. This woman was in a situation that may have been seen by others as psychotic, but she was also a member of the community. Yeah. And you'd known her in these other yeah. roles where she'd been very skillful and yeah. made an impression on you. Well, she'd nurtured me. Yeah. She'd nourished yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, we can all move in and out of distress at different mm. times in our lives, different times during the day. Yeah. Um, so I felt <laughs> that I tended to have a lot better rapport than several other workers at the centre because... You know, oh, that was Rory who, you know, stops and has a chat or sits down mm. on the footpath and footpath and has a laugh with me. And I know this is his role within the centre, but he's also a member of the community and he doesn't get in his car and drive to the other side of the city. Yeah. And I know there was one or two workers that would say to me, oh, I would never live in Fremantle, you know. Yeah. Screw living around here, everyone knowing who you are and having to bump into these people every day. Yeah. Whereas I would... Deeply, deeply value it's one was one of the major things that kind of hmm. changed my life almost, you know, made me Yeah. You know. Gave me a role in in life, yeah. Mm. Was wow. having these people around. So that's what I'd gotten out of, you know, finding something that luckily paid a wage, but also mm. brought me so much more. So I was kind of that was the loading. The loaded part of the question. Yeah, it really, really, really reminds me of stuff Stephanie often says about we've all got a lived experience of being human and how we use that is mm. 
is really beautiful, can be really beautiful. Mm. And, um, yeah, it just, just reminds me of that when I'm, when I'm thinking it through. And I, I, I'm, I'm really mindful that what happened that day after that is why we're sitting here now. But mm. um, just staying with, with that idea of, you know, we know a lot of people that access services and we've talked about it on this podcast, whether it's primary care or mental health services or homelessness, addiction services. Many, many people have an experience that the, the boundaries, the rules, the care, the support, the love, the mutuality is limited. Mm. And I think we, it would be bullshit to pretend there's not limits to it, something, somewhere. But I think your question was asking, to me, it sounded like, are we, are we allowed to go beyond the limits of, you know, you're being taught in social work training. Mm. I'm taught in nursing. And um, I go back, I mean, I always talk about this, but I go back to Gertrude Schwing, the nursing theorist in the 1940s, and in her book, A Journey to the, A Way to the Soul of the Mentally Ill, she, um, she said, you know, when you're going to go and spend time with someone, take a gift. That's what you'd do if you were in any other situation. So why not do that to a person who's distressed? And I just love that idea, you know, it just cuts through the nonsense. Um, And and so she'd she'd often take a gift the first time she met someone. And I sort of feel that's part of what your question was saying was, are we allowed to behave as we would in any other situation just because we're in our work role? And it's not to say there isn't, some value in boundaries of forms, negotiated and shared and mutual. But and, I mean, it's not to say that we also don't have boundaries in our personal lives as well. You mm. know, boundaries exist, they're valuable. Absolutely. And they exist in all our relationships, but this idea that there has to be set, uh, regulated, professional boundaries, I think is sometimes... Overplayed a one size fits all approach doesn't necessarily. Work. No, yeah. and I think all professional roles are guilty of this, and within all professional roles, there's also people that transgress the the rigidity and and go beyond it. Um, hey, look, I reckon we ought to go for a break. When we come back, I'm interested to hear for you to share what happened after that. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll go for a break. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Reawaken. We are seeking to create new paradigms in mental health, trauma and addiction by building community. Um, Yeah, we were talking before about Rory's question, the question. I think it is one of the questions because it also, you know, for me, it emancipates us when we can ask questions we're not allowed to ask. So what is the question in your world that you're not allowed to ask, but in exchange for not asking it, you don't ever get to explore it in relationship with someone else. Mm. And we see that in mental health, in my, an area that I'm really passionate about, you know, psychosis. Every single day I would see someone in the therapy room who has to juggle and hedge their bets about what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say for fear of how I'm going to respond. And that's one of, that was when I first heard you speaking that day at university, that was one of the things that really Drew, drew me to what you were saying is because I was starting to have this experience of 
people hearing voices and people would often tend to come and sit right outside my office when they were hearing voices and kind of hang around until I was available to talk to and I was often finding myself um, saying to them, wow, that's really in- interesting. Can you tell me more about that experience? What's mm. that like to be hearing to be hearing that? And then often have the experience that as I started talking to somebody and as I came into relationship with somebody, their distress really quite rapidly in the space of sitting and being with each other um, diminished quite a lot. Yeah. And so I was having these kind of experiences without maybe much theory or understanding behind it and then you started speaking and just, um, you know, there was research, there was personal experience, there was professional experience, yeah. there was people working in this way yeah. and I was like, oh, I think this is, might be the thing. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because it brings up about the whole hearing voices approach is that there is expert in experience and expert by profession. Mm. And I think, you know, we are better when we can um, share the wisdoms, the knowledges, the vulnerabilities, ask the questions, mm. really uncomfortable questions sometimes, joyous questions other times. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's a good place then to shift into, you know, what happened, that was in a one day around lunchtime, I think, and and the story that fascinate, that also fascinates me is that you know, we know that around this country and probably around the world, there is too few people who are genuinely willing to be in relationship with voice hearers, people mm-hmm. said to be psychotic, any forms of distress, actually, without conforming to, to, to the sort of kind of norms of rationale of, oh, right, yeah, that, that's fine, we can do this work until this point. And one of the things that's just blown me away, Rory, is that we're seeing here because you you've you've just really embraced voice hearers and people said to be psychotic as just equally human you know mm. mutually human and so what happened after you asked me that question i responded right, so i went home that night and i was kind of tossing and turning a bit in bed as you do because i was over from wa over in adelaide i was staying in the city tossing and turning a bit as you do when you're not in your own bed and you're sleeping in a different place thinking about the day and thinking about hearing you speak. And I know somebody had mentioned, or maybe you mentioned that you had a student or two lined up for placement um, that semester. And my placement had just fallen through in WA. I was hoping to organize a job swap with another organization so I could still get paid to do my placement and kind of continue the work I was doing rather than taking three months off to do a full-time placement and losing my job. Mm. Um, so I kind of got up, flicked the light on and grabbed my laptop and wrote Matt an email and said, Hey, I'm kind of, it's about midnight and I'm still kind of mulling over thinking about the things that you said today. And I was wondering if there'd be any chance in the future to, um, maybe do my final placement with you. Yeah. And then you maybe emailed back, gave me a ring the next day. Yeah, I gave you a ring. I, think, yeah. I was quite nervous. Were you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it just so happened that Matt um, has a whole bunch of experiences in WA. Um, oh, yeah. We both hung out for some time down in the south of WA around Donnybrook and um, oh, yeah. Bridgetown in that area. Bridgetown well. Blues <laughs> Festival. Yeah. We connected over a Bridgetown. If you don't know Bridgetown, 
There's not a lot goes on in Bridgetown, so it's quite a coincidence. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There ain't many people there. Um, and so you said, oh, um, so I said, oh, maybe, you know, I'm going to have to put my course on hold for six months and do it semester one, 2020. And you said in your do it anyway approach, which I was yet to learn. And do you want to try and get it organized for this semester? Mm. And I said, well, I was hoping you'd say that because yeah. I'm pretty keen. <laughs> yeah. And there was, it just so happened that everything yeah. lined up. Um, Matt said, oh, well, we're going to this conference in Melbourne. I'm wondering if you'd like to start your placement by running oh. out of the conference with us. That's right. Well, look, and I think, you know, I can hear that we're going on into this story. Is this related to mental health? Is this related to anything? And I think it is because I think it comes back to the question, right? You kind of, you had this kind of intention in asking this question and we met as mm. human beings. Mm. And and Steph and I have this kind of working space between us where I rang Steph and said, look, here's this fellow, he wants to do a placement, you're up for it. And she's just like... Is he any good? And I'm like, yeah, I reckon. He asked me a question. He looked like Donovan Frankenrider. Um, let's bring it on. He's willing to come to Melbourne, you know, I reckon. Let's get him to Melbourne and we can try him out for a day at a conference. And it just, you know, it seems like a nothing conversation, this in one way. And on the other hand, it just feels so important to reflect on, just as it is in anyone's life, the origins of the stories. You know, where does this story come from? And maybe if we can't ask those questions... We can't tell people the questions we've got or the feelings or experiences we've got. We never get to find out what might happen if we can if ask the question or be the person we are. So you spent the day at a, a conference called A Former Schizophrenic with a Swimming Pool, yeah. which was all about having beyond expectations for people who've been labelled in the mental health system, um, which which is just a really beautiful, powerful statement, really, which is that the labels limit people. They're deterministic, totalitarian, and are not that useful for the most part. And so we spent the day there. It was good fun. And um, you came back and moved into my house. Yeah. And uh, did a student placement. Speaking of boundaries, there was a bit of a yeah. kerfuffle with the university over that one, but we um, could have stood yeah. our ground. And Yeah. The university found it hard. I mean, I think it's okay to say was that there was no policy on this that could a student rent a room, uh, very low rent, I have to say, I wasn't exploitative, could a, could a <laughs> no, student rent a room in, in a placement educator's house? And I get the dilemmas, but actually what there was was this strange journey which mirrored the mental health system of some pressure being applied not to do that, mm. but not actually any real reason or rationale why not, mm. so long as we were reflective and what have you did, did 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 the process right so that was beautiful and um we were just really grateful that we were able to take you on well i remember after a night and an afternoon a night and a day in melbourne we were in the taxi driving back to the airport and mm. i was in the front seat and you and steph were in the back seat and <laughs> you asked me in quite a cheeky voice rory are you going to um Hang around and work with us after three months. Mm. After your three month placement, <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Yeah, I hope so. If you have me, oh, we've known yeah. each other all of twenty four hours at that point, I think." Yeah, yeah. And um, as as it turned out, my placement went really well. As my 
university supervisor said to me at one point, oh, Rory, I think you've just really found your people here. Mm, yeah, it was just um... people working with compassion and based on listening to people's experiences and how mm. those experiences, um, you know, were the thing that time and time again people will tell you if you spend enough time listening that this is the reason behind my distress or my experience of hearing voices or my joy yeah you know yeah. behind my experiences yeah. isn't it yeah. and i suppose that's what you did in asking that question is you kind of shared your perhaps inquiry slash intrigue as to any genuineness or you know possibilities in this work yeah. and and one of the things that's been really beautiful and I know Steph shares this view is is um, a guy that came to see us in an open dialogue session and you know, his voice is chose to work with you not me mm. and I think it sounds little but you know what, what, what is it like if we genuinely give people choice because mm. that sort of answers part of your question for me if I can bear to cope with all that is inside me in relationship with all that is inside someone else, then people will emerge for all that they are. Carl Rogers said this, you know, the more I can be me and the more you can be you, the more change is stirred up. But I think that happens around these opportunities. You asked a question that no one else, you know, don't ask that question. It's really awkward. I'm just giving a evangelical, idealistic presentation <laughs> at university. And you ask the bloody question. But what comes out of it is that we we get to the point where we see a person who hears voices getting to, his voice is getting to choose to work with you because you now work here and hang out mm. here and you show that same integrity in your interest in being with people and really inquiring and being curious about who they are and how authentic they are and that that sort of really feels it and I've got to tell the story of your mum just in case she listens yeah, she, does. she does good of course she does Hey, mum, you know, when we're in Bali and she says to me, you know, I, I, I feel I'm so glad Rory's found you guys and uh, I hope you're going to accept him when he really is who he is, you know. And I, this is the joy, isn't it? If we create environments where people can be who they are but we can all be who we are, then there isn't that much great fear in there. But it, it just takes a bit of willingness and openness to ask the questions. And just remembering the idea for this podcast came up a couple of days ago after um, kind of towards the end of the day, we had a family that was slightly in distress and mm. um, one of the members of the family had been through a pretty horrific uh, experience being hospitalised, I must say. Yeah. Um, needed a lift to get home somewhere and I said, oh yeah, that's fine, I'm actually... I was mm. looking forward to seeing you again. I haven't seen you for quite a while. Maybe we could have a chat and yeah. I'll drive you home and kind of other people around at the time were jumping up and down a little bit and um, I was more than happy to drive him home and yeah. lo and behold, it was, you know, the most calming and in-relationship experience he'd managed to be able to have yeah. in some time, at least during the three weeks that he'd been hospitalised and, yeah. and said so and now our relationship continues yeah well that's yeah that's beautiful because i came back into the building 
when all that journey had unfolded and and you know there was a bit of angst for you i i could hear that but also when after you'd you know you'd you'd done what we do in services oh you i'll give you a ring when i've dropped this guy off you know and there's this kind of old story of it being about risk and safety which is true what I actually heard when you rang me was what a beautiful time yeah. you had. Yeah, no, I knew you needed to tell you how. Yeah, you yeah. know, so you didn't ring me up to go, cool, I'm safe, everything's okay, this agitated guy was pretty scary. You rang me up to tell me just how beautiful it was yeah. to have a, a peaceful hour-long journey mm. down to the south coast and explore what, what was in him. And I think what you said is um, after the first couple of minutes, he was just asking you about you and your mm. life and mm. who you are. Mm. What was it like to grow up in WA? Yeah. I've heard WA is different to the rest of the country. What's it like? And, it, you know, we, we, were, we were remarking, where did the psychosis go? Yeah. Maybe it's your little yellow car. Maybe it's if you get up to uh, somewhere around <laughs> 98 kilometres an hour, yeah. the velocity just moves fast enough to leave. Like the flux capacitor yeah. in Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah. Your car, your little yellow car, which my kids love as Spoto, <laughs> it also has a flux capacitor, yeah. anti-psychosis element. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And that reminds me of another story you told <laughs> that you told that day, I think in response to my question or um, at another time, which was just about being with a suicidal client and um, yeah. Yeah. just being prepared to stay with him for as long as he needed until suicide yeah. maybe didn't feel like so much of an option. Yeah, I look, and, and I think maybe this is a conversation for another day with suicide narratives, but uh, I really, yeah, that really resonates with me, Rory, about um, that was just about spending time in the space until there was the choice for questions to be asked or curiousness had been met and perhaps the person felt less like life was not possible anymore. And I think there's this fear from professionals that if you give more of yourself in these kind of ways, yeah. that the client will continuously be wanting and wanting and wanting. But um, I don't think I, that's not, in my experience, that's not the way I think you quite quickly come into connection and have these moments and then somebody is ready to move on with the rest of their life. You're not the most exciting thing in their life. Yeah. You know, they've got yeah. other things to do, other people, people perhaps to look after in their life or people they're off to connect with. Like the other day, a guy wandered in who was um, mm. homeless and I was a bit, I was happy to sit down and had a, have a couple with him. I had a spare hour and I, I was a little bit anxious about, you know, where's this going to go at the end of an hour when my client comes in that I have to then go and see. And I think I explained it to you that when we sat down with a couple and started chatting and kind of my anxiety melted away of where's this going to go and I was happy just to be there with him it was at that very moment where I stopped being anxious about him being there yeah that he kind of drank his cup almost in three or four gulps and said oh thanks for the chat I'm I'm got some other stuff to do so you know that's beautiful <laughs> we'd achieved connection and then that's yeah. that and that's what it's about yeah. isn't it it's yeah. about finding space of connection being able to ask the things we need to ask say the things we need to say mm. but without the agenda without the bloody agenda mm. i've got an inquiry could i inquire with you mm. yes of course you can oh good you know mm. in, can i inquire no <laughs> you know yeah. i think that's where when we take a, a traditional led approach of me knowing more than somebody else 
absolutely because of my training about them we shut down the potential for the question mm. or the inquiry or the as you said the connection and i guess so the flip side of this is for people listening and maybe don't know what happens when when people come to see other professionals it's a very cold and harsh environment the yeah, professional is kind of yeah. perhaps disinclined to offer any of themselves at all any of their personal experience yeah um, yeah almost as if the professional is an expert who um knows how to deal with these things by virtue of studying at an institution and never actually experiencing them things yourself themselves yeah, you know yeah. like a, a successful human being versus the non-successful yes. human being and of course peer work is you know is is in lived experience work is transversing that and trying to trying to find the way through that and and i think this is one of the difficulties is how do we really deeply value the peer role of being in human connection without it becoming like all the other bloody professions because mm. i think that's the dichotomy mm. how do we be us and value what we've learned and just stay in connection and from, from where i come from and being able to engage with uh, intellectual concepts and yeah. research and theory. Like I said, I had this kind of quite unskilled professional experience of being with people. Mm. And then, you know, you were introducing the Maastricht approach and mm. kind of evidence of you know, traumagenic mm. explanations of psychosis and these kind mm. of things. And I was like, all right, well, this is yeah. like yeah. some, like, you know, people with experience people that spend a lot of time with people who've had lots of experiences and have listened to them are starting to generate this groundswell of absolutely reputable information and trial and error of what works and what doesn't work. And Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, I love that. I love that. And the hearing voice approach is, of course, movement is, of course, an absolute bastion of this, mm. you know, about moving forward together, Yeah, you know, with the wisdoms that are available. Maybe that's another podcast as well. Maybe we could really yeah. delve into uh, yeah. the interview and yeah. what it's like for people. Maybe we could even hear from a voice hero who's done the interview what it was like yeah. to be asked these questions maybe for the first time. Yeah, that would be beautiful, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be really powerful. All right, well, look, right. it's probably a good place to leave it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Rory. Um, no, I feel slightly self-indulgent well, telling, a bit, telling a bit of my story. <laughs> well, it's beautiful to hear and, and, you know, we always think about the negative narratives mm. that have led us to problem yeah. situations yeah. and I suppose for me this is about a really rather euphoric narrative of how we've arrived at something new. Mm. So e equally, equally valuable, I think, mm. equally valuable. And Steph's not here, so we send our love and, and value to Steph. It's funny, my, I just went there as well thinking like, oh, it's funny that, that um, you know, you and Steph are so good at what you do. It's funny that people sit down with you and tend, tend to tell you all these things that maybe they weren't mm. expecting to say. Ah. <laughs> There's no mistake that uh, mm. the Humane Clinic's becoming such a beautiful place, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Rory. Go well. You too. Ciao. Everywhere people, in every place, 
All of the countries and each race need your hope. That's what this world is in need. Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed. Hope is the thing that stops you bleed. And hope is the ivory in the weed. So give hope and live hope. And when your kids are hungry, feed them hope. If the system bleeds you dry, have hope. If the situation makes you cry, have hope. Cause now it's time to dry your eyes and hope that that'll keep your dreams alive. I hope that you hope. Cause everyone's future is resting on your hope Can take the worst thing and turn it around Hope can find the lost that was not to be found Hope can make the loser them stuck in ground Hope can turn your pennies right back into pounds Cause hope can be rebuilt even when it's been killed And if you believe, your hope will be fulfilled But people lied, just to raise your hope Just to make you think that they're helping you cope They're selling you eggs without no yolk They're wearing you down until your will is broke This ain't real hope, they don't feel hope They real hope and deal hope and turn it into false hope Then we give up on this world like it's a sinking boat We let each other drown instead of flinging the rope We're turning the place into some kind of joke But we can't laugh, we can't lose hope In these times while they commit these crimes Because there's nothing else out here keeping us afloat Hope is elusive, a glint in the eye That something is exclusive, that thing they can buy Or make excuses, they just sit and ask why Our mistakes are conclusive, hope will just die But I wouldn't lie, singing all lullaby Give hope a try, and hope gets high You'll be bereaved, but you'll also receive Have hope, can't be deceived, truth is got to believe And hope, don't let it leave, or ever receive Just hope, and then one day, you're going to succeed You can't live without hope, don't go without hope Down hope will keep you warm when you're shivering with cold Hope will make you young when you're tired and old Hope can make a bright man hearty and bold And hope can find the truth that has never been told Cause some people take hope and some people fake hope But you are the people, you people here You're the ones that I feel are sincere You're raising my hope, will hold your hand when you're feeling secure Hope will find a way through any locked door Make a point to the wise, even when there's a door Hope will fill your belly when you think you need more Stop disease when there isn't a cure Hope will do it all, and so much more And so much more And so much more And so much more Hope will do it all And so much more